I love that song because it's so true. Uh, you know, here at the mission, um, we, we serve a, a God, a, our Lord Jesus Christ, who there's this big word in theology and it's called incarnation. And it's just such a great word because it's, it truly is just about how God became man, 100% man. He indwelt. He um, walked among, amongst us. He pitched his tent in our camp of humanity. And just that incarnation is so awesome because... Um, the truth is, what he what he does in that incarnation is 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 he then calls us to um, to follow him and make us new creations to live in incarnation of Jesus Christ in us and through us, um, and that's the that's the beautiful thing. He takes us just dust and indwells inside of us and lives through us. And that's what we're all about here at this church. We love the fact that we as a church can just call people to this risen Christ who can live in us and through us and just walk alongside each other in this incarnation. So, love that stuff. Love worship. Um, thank you guys for uh, coming and, uh, and being a part of our church. If you're new here, we are start, we're starting a new series today. Um, it's uh, it, it's not as long as, as the last series. I hope you enjoyed it. I, I loved that whole idea of, of holding nothing back and looking at the book of Leviticus. Um, we're going to be looking at the New Testament for the next uh, month or so, and, uh, and it's particularly in the book of uh, Timothy. But uh, what we have back here is our new graphic, our new kind of just the whole concept here, the, the true cost of living, which we're going to be getting into. And I just I love this whole setup, and we'll explain it a little more as we go. But, uh, but again, um, some good stuff. Um, I, I remember a time, this was when I was growing up, I was, I was kind of one of those kids that didn't have a lot. Um, I, I, my, my mom worked like five or six jobs, and... Um, I, I kind of, I was in, uh, we were in Pasadena, and there came a point in my life from third grade to fourth grade where my dad decided, you know what, I'm going to pay for you to go to a really good school. Um, so I went to this place called High Point Academy. I mean, just the name alone is like, hey, you got money or something? Because <laughs> High Point Academy was this really kind of nice private school um, over in like really nice area of, of Pasadena. And... Um, and I was kind of the odd kid because my my mom was a a house cleaner and had like five jobs and like you know she, I'd get dropped off in the car that was falling apart. My mom actually had a Pinto, so the one that didn't explode. But you know what I mean? Like it was you know. And I and there was a point where I was like, Mom, could you not drop me off at the front? Because you know you get to this point, everyone's rolling up in Mercedes and you know just the really nice cars. And here I was rolling up in the Pinto. Um, and, and, and I just remember, like, I went to school with a lot of rich kids. Um, one of the kids that went there, their, their parents were the ones that invented the, the airbag. Um, one of the few people in the 70s that invented the airbag. Um, and was just a multimillionaire. In fact, my mom cleaned his house. Um, so that was, that was a little hard to, 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 to live with a little bit. It was like, hey, your mom cleans our house. Yep. Um, and so it was interesting. But I remember I had a friend who his dad had a Rolls Royce. One of those really nice Rolls Royce with like, like the back seat was as big as a house. You know, you just sit back there and you're like, dude, I could like lay down in here. And they had trays that came down, wooden trays that came down where you could eat in the back of the car. I mean, it was like a plane, you know what I mean? It was weird. I've never been in a car like that. And I just remember me and, me and my friend, uh, Walter, we would, we'd be riding in there, right? And, and then, and, and we'd roll down the window next to people and we'd stop and be like, 
pardon me, do you have any Grey Poupon? You guys know what I'm talking about, right? So we got, you know, until his dad made us stop doing that because he was getting embarrassed. Um, but uh, another friend I had, his, his uh, grandpa owned eight McDonald's. He was a franchisor or whatever they called him. He owned eight McDonald's. And his his house was a mansion, but his backyard had this amazing pool. And there was like this area in the back. You know how some people, like, you got a barbecue. You know what I'm saying? And, oh, that's a pretty nice barbecue. He had a full McDonald's in his backyard. Deep fryer, double fridge, you know, the metal. I mean, everything in it. And he's like, so you want an order of McDonald's fries? I'm like, yeah, can I have 14 orders? That'd be fine. And I just remember, like, that's kind of what I, like, my friends. And then I was the one with, you know, barely getting clothes from the thrift store. And um, and I just remember this disparity between those people and me. You know, just kind of like, there wasn't really a lot of people in that school who were in my situation. And I just remember thinking when I was growing up, like, I, I don't want to be there. I, I mean, I understand what happened with my mom and, and everything in between, and I get that, but I don't want that to be my experience as I get older. If I have a choice, I'm going to do whatever it takes so that I don't have to live that way where I feel so different or, you know, I, I need to get more stuff. And, and it kind of, I don't know if you're like me, but I, I struggled with holding on to my stuff and getting more stuff. Because, I mean, I, I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be poor. I didn't want to be, you know, I, I just, I wanted to, I wanted people to look up to me. You know, like, look what he's driving or look what, because I just remember how that felt. And so I struggled with that. Um, and, and, and to this day, to some extent, I still kind of struggle with that. Um, and that's really where we're going to be going. Uh, in, in this next series. You know, we've labeled it the true cost of living. But, but the truth is, we live in a society that really is all about accumulation. It's all about keeping up with the Joneses or the, the Smiths or whatever you want to call the, 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 that nuclear family that we're supposed to be like. Uh, we're inundated with ads and we're inundated with just materialism and consumerism and I mean everything that says you need this, you, you need this. You get, you get what I'm saying? But, but I guess the, the question is, do we really? Do, is there this standard that we have to adhere to? And maybe you don't even know that you're adhering to it, but you are. And, and I mean really what, what it's coming down to is what is the true cost of living? Now, we, I'm getting a lot of this, um, by the way. I don't know if you know Andy Stanley. And I'm actually going to read out of this. But if, if you're interested in a really good, good book, it's called How to Be Rich. And, and it's just a great book by Andy Stanley, a great little campaign that his church does. And, um, and it's amazing what they, what they talk about. Because really, it comes down to generosity. And as, as a church, they've given away hundreds of millions of dollars um, to the community and to missions and to everything else as they started to look at, you know, really, the true cost of living. What does it mean to live in this world but not be just a part where you're being consumed or molded into the shape of this world? Like Jesus, right? Jesus lived in this world. I mean, he walked with people in that incarnation. He walked with, with, with prostitutes and, and with uh, uh, criminals and, and, and religious elites. And I mean, you name it, he walked with them. But he never, he never sunk into becoming that sinner 
He, ne- he, never, he never became a part of the world to where you couldn't recognize him from the next guy. He always maintained the kingdom of God in his life and his pattern of life. He understood the true cost of living for God's kingdom and God's way. And so that's, that's really what we want to look at. Um, I'm going to say a statement that you probably will laugh at. <laughs> uh, I laughed at it at first. Um, but if I were to tell you you're rich, would you believe me? You, you would? Okay. You're the rare person. <laughs> Most people will say, I'm not rich. They wouldn't. Um, and I kind of looked at that statement and I was like, I'm not rich. But we need to look at something, this next series here, that I really want to push you to. And the sad truth is that more people today, with the amount of stuff that we have, which is like ridiculous, on the scope of world history, we as Americans and our culture today, we are more comfortable, more content, more filled with, with stuff and riches than any other nation since the beginning of time, per person. And yet, when you look at the statistics and you look at you know, the truth of, of, of what they're finding in an average person, we're more anxious, we're more afraid, we're more insecure, we're more unstable, we have more frustration, we have more debt and less freedom than in any other time. Because we're getting squeezed. And we don't get the true cost of living. What I'd love for you to do is, before we get into the scripture, you guys, you guys, I have the scripture for you, and I'm hoping, as you're with me, I want to challenge you to this, is memorize the scripture. Because we're going to be going through this a lot. This is our main scripture for this series in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Um, but, but I just want to challenge you to really memorize this scripture, because I think it's really good stuff, and it really does apply to us today. So do me a favor, let's stand up as we get into the scripture, and I want to give you your take-home truth. The main take-home truth, and we try to do this every week to simplify you know, what, what God's Word is really pushing us to see in this, in this day. And right now, the take-home truth is simple. It's, we are rich and need to learn the true cost of living or suffer with the side effect of wealth. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. As we jump into your Word here, help us to have it really jump into us and really affect us in such a way that we... We want to jump up and we want to get out there. We, we're not, there's a reason you came to live with us. There's a reason you, that you came and dwelt amongst us. And it wasn't just so we could feel good or, or go to a place on Sunday and hear more about you and just, you just get knowledge. No, the truth is you knock on every single one of the doors of our hearts and, and you say, follow me. Let me come in. Let, let me help you to really understand life and the way you were meant to live it. We're all being worked on. We're all on this journey. And I thank you for that, Lord. The truth is we need you and we need to walk with you. And so may we do that today as we look at your word. But more importantly, Lord, as you walk with us in this journey, that we would grab hold of your truth and let it really just shake the foundation of our life. Help us to be built up on the rock of your Son, Jesus Christ, so that we might live in such a way that truly affects the world around us, that truly helps us to, to weigh the cost of following you. 
and of living with you in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, continue standing. We're going to read real quick here. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. The Apostle Paul says this. He says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. All right, you may be seated. Again, many of you, uh, probably like me, as you read this verse, you're like, oh, that's great for rich people. But I'm not one of them. (laughs) I mean, don't get me wrong, I feel rich in the Lord. People sometimes ask me, how are you doing? I'm blessed. I'm rich in grace. I'm rich in those things. But if they were to say, man, are you, are you a wealthy person? I'd be like, no, not by any means. I'm not rich. I get by. I live paycheck to paycheck. So when I look at this, I think, oh, that's, that's, that's not for me. It's not for the, for the poor, poor folk like me. But, but that's not true. And one of the things I want to convince you of right now as we walk through this is that, that you are rich. More than you know. And I, I want to look at the facts. Um, right now I, ha- I have a, a picture of, of my old van. I called it the Incredible Hulk. This was my great van. I went to Mexico. I mean, it's been everywhere. We just retired the van a couple of weeks ago. She's done. Or he's done. I say it's the Incredible Hulk. Big green machine, man. You got out of my way when I was on the freeway with this thing. Um, Love that van, but... but but I'll tell you, I mean, I struggled with that van at the end. I don't know if you're like me, but I'm not a car person. <laughs> and so when my car doesn't do what I want it to do, like go, um, I get really nervous. I get really anxious. And I'm just like, oh no, what am I going to do? Because I have no idea what makes this thing work. <laughs> I mean, I'm one of those guys, I pop up in the hood, I grab a hammer and just be like, you know that, maybe that'll work. Do the Fonzie method, right? Like, I don't know. And I just know that you're supposed to work. Why are you not working? And there was so much frustration. And my family was reduced to one car. And man, that was hard. You, you, maybe you're like me. Maybe you got two cars and you struggled with, you know, just dealing with that. Um, but I don't know. If you know something interesting here, the average American family has 2.28% cars. I don't know how they do that. That's weird to me. Somewhere there's like a bench seat in the back of their... That's my 0.28% car. I don't know. But um, a lot of people have three cars or four cars, and they just kind of put it all together in the statistic. But 2.2 point, or 2.28% cars. Um, and, and 40% of families in America have three cars or more. That's almost half. Most of you fit into this category. Interesting thing, this is our culture we live in. This is the truth of, of, of what we have. That's why we have traffic jams and everything else. of the world owns a car. Now think of that. 9% of the entire world, 6 billion plus people, and we as Americans have 2.28% cars. That's huge. Right there, just thinking of that, puts us in a category way above the average person, way above the more than average person in the world today. The other thing, if I were to come up to you today and I were to offer you, uh, some of you, this would be great, like my kids would look at this and be like, oh my gosh, but let's just say the average person in here who already has their job, already has their career or whatever, if I were to offer you $37,000 a year, 
Most of you would be like, man, I'm going to have to cut back. I'm going to have to really cut back. I can't live off that. If you were to make $37,000 a year, you're the top 4% of the entire world. Top 4%. How about this? If you make $48,000 or more a year, your family, you bring in more than $48,000 a year, you're the top 1% of the world. Many of you here are saying, well, wait, what? <laughs> you mean I'm in the top 1%? Top 4%? That's crazy. And yet it's true. This word from the Apostle Paul, this passage is starting to look more and more like, hey, wait a minute, this is for me. <laughs> this is for me. We're rich. In fact, if you make $48,000 more a year, you're fabulously rich. See, Paul's instruction is not just to those people who live on the other side of town. It's to you and me, whether you know it or not. Because some of you might not be making $37,000 a year. Some of you are just starting out, and you're there, but you will be in the next five years, ten years. You'll be making more, way more than that. We are truly rich. And this is important because we really need to look at Paul's teaching here and not just bypass it, but delve into it to really understand and embrace what God has for you and me as people who are in this culture and who are rich, fabulously rich. Hopefully you're starting to see the true cost of living here. Um, what I'd like to read is, I, I have a... Uh, a, a little article here, and if this will bump you into understanding a little more, hopefully as well. This is a Gallup. Gallup conducted a poll to see how different socioeconomic groups defined rich. How do we define rich? Not surprisingly, everybody had a different definition and nobody thought they fit into it. So everyone's thinking they're not rich. For each and every person, rich was roughly double the amount possessed by the person defining it. In other words, when they interviewed people who earned 30000 a year, that group defined rich as someone who earned 60000 a year. When they interviewed people who earned 50000 a year, that magic number was 100000 You get the pattern? It's just double what I'm making. Similarly, Money Magazine asked its readers how much money it would take to make them feel rich. And according to the average reader of Money Magazine, now this is the average reader, a person would need $5 million in liquid assets to be considered rich. Now, based on the trend found in the Gallup poll, the readers of Money Magazine probably averaged about $2.5 million in net worth, half of their definition of rich. Now, here's people who have $2.5 million, and they're saying, oh, if I really want to be rich, if I want to be rich, it's $5 million. See, they're just doubling it every time. Therefore, if we asked people worth $5 million to define rich, they would probably say it was anyone worth $10 million, and on and on it goes, you see? See, the moral of the story, rich is a moving target. No matter how much money we have or make, we will probably never consider ourselves rich. The biggest challenge facing rich people is that they've lost their ability to recognize they are rich. See, the main reason, reason we struggle with, am I rich or not, or am I struggling with wealth, or, it, it's because of the side effects. And so today I want to go through these side effects that... I guarantee you, each and every one of you has struggled with. I struggle with it. And I wouldn't consider myself, before looking at this, I wouldn't consider myself rich. Like I said, I live paycheck to paycheck. But there's a reason for that. And a lot of this is just figuring out the true cost of living. Figuring all that stuff out. So I want to touch on these three side effects today. We're going to look a little more in detail 
uh, next week as well. But the first side effect that I really want to look at, and if you're taking notes, it's rich people confuse being rich with feeling rich. They confuse being rich with feeling rich. Now, again, I want to point this back to what the Apostle Paul says here in the, in, in the Bible. It says, Command those who are rich in the present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. See, many of you don't feel it because worldly wealth is so uncertain. You see, when you're putting your hope in something, as we looked at with a Gallup poll, you look at it and it's like, it's, it's a moving target. I, well, I could always have one more. It's like John D. Rockefeller, one of the richest men in the entire world back in the day, and he was asked by a reporter, and by the way, this guy's money, more money than he could ever burn in a lifetime. I mean, even if he took all his money and tried to burn it, it would take him too long. I mean, that's how much money this guy had. And he was asked how, by a reporter, how much more do you need? And he said, just one more dollar. Just one more dollar. <laughs> See, the problem is, it, it, it's, it's, it's not about being rich. We've, we need to feel rich. See, one of the first times I felt rich in my whole life, and there hasn't been a lot, <laughs> was when we sold our first house. We bought it, and it barely was able to take care of us. I mean, man, it, it cost some cash. For us, And we were at the tail end of, of what we had to pay for it. And we just bought and we bought. And we were at the beginning, kind of almost at the end of the housing rise. Remember in, in 2000s when the housing market was like exploding and crazy and oh my gosh, it was nuts. And we sold before it got bad. We were one of the blessed few. I don't know how we... It wasn't like I was smart. It wasn't like I was reading the trends and going, we got to sell now because I'm telling you it's going to tank. And then we're going to owe too much. I didn't do that. I just... It just happened the way it did. And we sold it to some friends of ours who ended up turning it around and selling it for $40,000 more because the housing market was just so crazy. And this was some 1,000-square-foot house in Wrightwood, little A-frame. And, man, we got this big old... We went to our escrow company. Anybody who's ever sold a house? We got to our escrow company, and, and they were like, here's your check, Mr. Robbins. And I opened it up, and I was like, oh! You know, I was like, I can't believe I'm holding this much money. Oh my gosh. And we got in the car and we were like laughing. We were like giddy. You know what I'm saying? Like, whoa! What are we going to do? So of course we went to Costco, right? (laughs) I need that. I need that. I need that. It didn't take long before we were back in debt again. It was nuts. See, I felt rich that day, but but then a little later I I stopped feeling rich because we blew all the money. We spent it. Soon we had more payments. We quickly ran out all that money, and so we felt poor again. See, the reason you don't feel rich is that you don't have the one thing that makes all the difference. The thing that came easily when we had all that money at that one time, and not a lot of payments, it's a thing called margin. And if you're, again, if you're taking notes, it's, it's a real simple word. It's just margin. See, we, we, we weren't rich, at least as far as we thought. We weren't rich, but we felt rich because we had a big margin. We had very little payments anymore. We didn't have a house payment. We got rid of all of our debt. And then we still had money to spare. And so we felt rich. Because we had this big old margin. We weren't so close to living and cramped. We had extra. We had a buffer. The freedom to spend more combined with the willpower to spend less. See, margin is the key to feeling rich. A lack of margin causes rich people to not feel rich. Some of you are like me. You're living rich, but you don't feel it because you don't have any margin. 
So let me give you a, one easy, quick fix. If you want to feel rich, right now, trim. Cut away. Get rid of cable. No more cable. Sell a car. Sell your house and move into something very, very, very small. You, you're increasing your margin. But if you're like me and you're rich, you're, you're experiencing cognitive dissonance right now. <laughs> you're experiencing an issue and you're struggling because you're going, wait a minute, I don't want to do that. That's a rich person's problem. I don't want to get rid of the things that I have because if I do that, then I don't. And see, that's what rich people do. They can make those choices. Some of you are feeling poor, but it's honestly just your margin. Cut. Don't go to Starbucks every day. No, you didn't. <laughs> Don't you take away my Starbucks. <laughs> Put in the cheap gas, not the good gas. But this car only takes good gas. You get it? You get what I'm saying? These are rich person's problems, right? This is first world problems. Stop eating steak. Eat Top Ramen for a while. You, you get it? We can feel rich really quick. But you've got to start trimming. You've got to start cutting. And now you're battling with the true cost of living. The thing that in you that can't bear the thought of taking a step back in regards to your standard of living is evidence that you're perhaps suffering from a second side effect. And this is that second side effect. Rich people are plagued by discontentment. We're plagued by discontentment. Again, Apostle Paul says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. Here's a cold hard truth. The more money a person has, the, the more money a person wants. The more you have, the more you want. Your desire for newer and nicer is, is an appetite. And the more you eat, the more you... Guys get this. When you're a teenage boy, you probably could sit down and eat two large pizzas. I've got teenage girls now, and I didn't know, but they're the same way, okay? And they're skinny as rails, but they just eat, 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 eat. And some of you are like me. I mean, I would sit down and I would eat four Jumbo Jacks in one sitting. I mean, I'm just, I would eat, 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 eat. But then my metabolism stopped. But did you think that I stopped eating that way? No. <laughs> I wasn't growing up anymore. I was just growing out. <laughs> because an appetite needs to be fed. And one of the biggest things I had to struggle with is, oh, I've got to slim my appetite down. I'm eating too much. And my stomach has grown to that size. That's the truth. That's the way it is. And the same thing goes with money. The same thing goes with what we spend our money on and what we're used to. And the hardest thing to do is to create this space where we say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going I'm to have less. And see, that word, the one word that I would say for this, this appetite, is, that word is more. It's just more. This is why Paul tells us not to be arrogant. It doesn't make sense at first, but, but, but hear me out. Wealth causes arrogance. When our appetites want more, we grow discontent and arrogant. Because see, what, what the truth is, it's like, I don't care. Anybody ever get hangry? That's angry hungry? I had the sweetest, my grandpa Bowman, 100% Swedish. He was five foot two, just this little guy. His name was Elon Ephraim. Elon Ephraim, but he had red hair. Everyone called him Rusty. Great guy, just, mm. But man, when he was hungry, get out of his way. I saw him pick a fight with bikers. You know what I'm saying? He's just this little old guy, just get out of my way. You know, because he got hungry. Because his appetite was, mm, And you don't mess with me. 
And that's kind of how it is with our stuff. With who we are. I mean, we get more and more and it's like, but this is mine. And I deserve it. And I have it. And I deserve more. And I should get this. And I should get that. We can become discontent in our arrogance because of our wealth. See, when you feed an appetite, it grows. You think if you just had a bit more, you would be done, but you're wrong. Every time you feed that appetite for newer and nicer, it grows. And it erodes our margin. It erodes the margin. And the next thing you know, you're anxious, and frustrated, you name it. It just comes in. These are the side effects. Um, I was, I was at the Blessing Center yesterday and I was approached by Dr. Turley. Uh, he's a, the pastor there and, and he runs, he started this, the Blessing Center in his home 16 years ago. And, uh, and we were, we fed about 300 people in boxes and it's just great. We had, they had the medical clinic that was going on and they used to have a year's waiting list for, for dentistry for the poor and now they only have a month. I mean, they're really getting people through and getting them dentistry and medical and everything else. But every time I'm there, I'm challenged to something more. Um, and so, and, and I, I usually walk away going, man, I thought I had problems. Um, he approached me and he, he said, hey, hey Chris, I'm gonna, as you know, I'm going to be gone in a couple of weeks. And there's a lady, I was wondering if you could help her this week coming up. Um, she was kicked out of a convalescent home. She's about 80 pounds. She's a cripple. And right now she's living on Redlands Boulevard. There's this wall on the other side of Walmart and she's living right there. So you can see her when you pass the street. There she is. She's just there. And he says, I don't know how, I think she's 50 or 60, and he's like, I'm trying to work on getting her Section 8 homes, because it used to be real easy, but now you really got to work on it. And he's advocating to get this lady who, who, who nobody cares about, who's living on Redlands Boulevard, a home. And she's got a little bit of stuff, and she has no food, and she can't get up and walk around because she needs a wheelchair. She, she's, she's invalid, she's crippled, and she weighs probably 80 pounds. And I'm like, yeah, I think I can do that. I can help. <laughs> but at that moment, I was thinking about all the stuff I've been going through and the stuff I was struggling with. Now, imagine I, I went over, because I'm going to go this week, and I'm just going to give her what I can and, 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 and help her out as much as I can. But imagine if I were to sit down with her, and I'm listening to her problems, and I say, oh, I know how you feel. I have this tax audit coming up. I've got to get all my receipts and everything together. And Oh, my gosh, my car broke down this last week. Whew. Man, what a struggle. How arrogant. And yet, this is the world we live in, most of us. Let's be, let's be honest. And I'm humbled. I'm humbled when I hear these stories. And, and the goal is not to make you feel guilty here. Please understand, this is not what the goal is. But the goal is to, to help us open our minds and open our hearts and see a kingdom outside of our own little kingdom. To live the incarnation of Jesus Christ who walked amongst us and looked at all those people, the least, the last, and the lost. And said, I'm here for them. Not for myself. I'm here for them. And yet, here we are. And here I am. Thinking, oh man, and struggling. And forgetting the true cost of living. The problem is we get stuck in our own little worlds missing the true cost of living as it sits on the side of the road as we drive by. And don't even think about it. Um, are, you, are you familiar with this term? And, and if you're, again, taking notes, it's, 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 it's called upgrade. It's a great word. Some of you are like me. I, I love that word, upgrade. It, this is something that... Uh, 
that, that we do, <laughs> that rich people do. Um, in fact, this, is, this probably accounts for more of our margin being slim than anything else. But here's how it works. Rich people don't wait for things to break. That's so 20th century. Rich people take things that work and they give them away and then go out buy pretty much the same thing that they gave away, only it's a little newer and a little nicer. Upgrade. Um, some people come in with a car. They go to a place. They come in with this car. And it's, it's, it's a good car. Most people would kill to have a car like that. And, and they, they drive in. They drop it off. And they drive away with another car. First world problems. And yet that car is just maybe a little bit newer. A little bit nicer. Uh, maybe you're like me. I had an iPhone 4S. I waited years for this. <laughs> I hadn't had a smartphone forever. I was at my old church, and they said, oh, you got to wait for your contract to be up, and then you can get your, your new phone. I was like counting down the days. I hadn't had an iPhone. I had a little flip phone. I couldn't do anything on it. All it did was make phone calls. Come on, people. What are we, barbarians? <laughs> barbarians. I walked into Verizon, and I put my club down, and I grunted, and they said, oh, you need a 4, 4S, don't you? Barbarian. And I remember getting that phone and, oh, so cool, man. So cool. But then about six months later, they came out with this new thing called the iPhone 5. And I looked at my iPhone 4S and I went, you piece of junk. You've let me down. You're so six months ago. You, you, I mean, right? Right? Come on, I'm not wrong here, people. I love Brian Regan. He says one time he was shopping for... He said it's the craziest thing when you go shopping for refrigerators. Because he goes in and shops for a refrigerator and the salesman is doing his best to sell you this. But he says, hey, hey, um, the, the, this keeps food cold for $600. Oh, wait, wait. But this one keeps things cold for $800. Oh, but this one keeps things cold for $1,000. And see that one over there? $3,000, but it really keeps things cold. Do you get the problem here? But we, get, we fall into this. We get discontent. And by the way, that's the job of marketers. They are the smartest people in the entire world. They're not putting the governments together. They're not fixing the, the, the problems. Politicians are imbeciles compared to the people running the marketing campaigns. Let's be honest, because that's where the money's at. And their job is to make you discontent. And they do a darn good job at it, don't they? Because I can't have this anymore. I can have that. And why would I be happy with this when I can have that? That's just the way it works. I know I'm not the only one to have fallen for this. It's the upgrade, slimming our margin, being discontent. And we look at people who are so much more, in our eyes, wealthy than us, and yet how can they be having problems? Because they've fallen in the same trap. And even though they're making double us, they're still in the same issue as us, and they don't feel rich. But they are. Are you plagued by the side effect of discontentment? The last side effect, number three. Rich people often suffer from the migration of hope. This is a really simple 
simple concept. It sounds tough, but it's a very simple concept. Uh, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. You see, there's a difference between hoping in God and, and, and hoping in wealth. And this last side effect is so easy when the money comes in, it's easy to start hoping in the wealth than it is to hope in God. That's the simple aspect. See, our hope, instead of being in the creator and in the provider, becomes all about our hope in the provisions and our IRAs and what's in our garages or, or, or what's in our closet or how much food we have in the pantry. It's migration of hope. Whenever we trust in stuff more than the Savior, we go from hope to hoarding. Let me say that again. Whenever we trust in stuff more than the Savior, we go from hope to hoarding. Let me ask you a simple question. How much money would you need to secure your future against all imaginable eventualities? How much money would you need? That's the question we get all the time from when you're, if you're watching TV. You know, you've seen the retirement guy who gets on. This is a big thing from Prudential now. And they're saying, this, how much money do you have when you face that day? When you retire, are you going to be okay? Right? It's, again, the marketing ploy to make you discontent, to make you afraid, to make you scared. Because you've got to be ready and, and you've got to hope in, in, in your stuff and your stuff and your stuff. How much money or how much wealth would you need to ensure that you're absolutely safe? Nothing could bring you down. Let me give you a simple answer, and I know it's the simple answer because it's what everybody says, a little bit more. I just need a little bit more. I just need a little bit more. Just a little bit more. No matter how much wealth we accumulate, we will always answer more. See, fear of the future comes side to side, hand in hand, with migration of hope. When you hope in stuff and you hope in money and you hope in these things that we have, there's always going to be a fear because your treasure is here. Moth, rust, thieves. It's not in heaven. Our hope migrates from our dependence on God to dependence on ourselves. As we hope in our wealth, we find it more and more difficult to give generously to the things God is most concerned about. We lose sight with the true cost of living. We end up building our lives on the sandy, shaky, unstable ground of wealth instead of the solid rock of God. Do you get it? I've fallen for this all the time. So what do we do? To get back to the true cost of living. To what Jesus has for us as we live in a world that's all about this. But it's not making things better. What do we do? How do we get back to living at the true cost? Well, two things I want to point you to today. The other thing I would really want to say is just keep, you know what, come back next week because there's some great stuff in here. And I'm hoping that we can all really look at this together as just disciples who are on this journey of figuring out how to let go of this stuff that holds us back. Because we all have a tendency to trust in the provision and not the provider. We always do. It's so easy. When you truly look at every major religion in the world, it's all about trusting everything but the one true God. 
Because it's about the stuff, it's about the creation, it's about the provision, it's about what I can get. And maybe if I give this to this God, he will give this to me because I need more, I need more. But we come in Christianity to a God who's given us everything already and says, drop it. Drop it. Like my son did when he came to die on that cross so that you can have everything you need in Christ Jesus. Everything you need in Christ Jesus. Amen? And that's the truth. And so these two things I wanted to point you to very quickly. This is a command that we must choose to follow. If you notice, Paul uses the word command. He doesn't say, hey, think about it. No, he tells Timothy, a young pastor, he says, command these people. Because if they're followers of Jesus, they want to go where he's going. And it's very easy to stop. This isn't a suggestion. This isn't counseling. This is a command. Now, now this is a difficult thing because, again, I, I don't want to get in there and, and specifically tell you what God wants to do in your life because I don't know and that's not my job. I'm giving you some principles here. And I'm not saying everyone sell what they've got and get into one-room apartments and have very little, you know, uh, you only have enough food for that day and you've got one pair of clothes. That's not what I'm saying here. That's not what it's about. But what I am trying to point you to is that all of us need to really, truly grasp the true cost of living and know where we're at. We need to choose wisely how we spend our money because God is serious with our responsibility, with the gifts that He gives us. And we see this all through Scripture. And we all suffer with the side effects. And I know my family and I, we've been plagued with this way too long. Jesus knocks on every single one of our hearts. He wants us to follow Him and trust Him in all things. This is true Christianity. This is what James says. True Christianity is this. True religion is this. That you, that you help the poor and help the widow. And you know, It's always an action to the least, the last, and the lost. And it always comes down to where we live. It's not just something we do on a Sunday. Or, or something we, we wake up and we read a passage and, oh, I'm, do, I'm good. No, this is something that hits us at the core of who we are. It's discipling. It's letting God live through us and in us to the world around us. That's what Christianity is all about. Saying, not my will with my stuff, but your will be done. That's the hardest part. This is why it leads to that second and last step. We must concede to Jesus. We must concede to Him and allow Him to choose. And again, I don't know what that is. But the truth is, we are all being challenged. To follow God. To seek Him with everything we have. Proverbs chapter 3. Lean not on your own understanding. Right? But in all your ways. Follow Him. Everything that you have. Minds. Everything. Put in His hands. In Matthew 16, I want to leave you with this. Jesus is addressing those who have decided to follow Him as well as others who are still on the fence wrestling with the choice. And he says this in Matthew 16, 24. And Jesus said to his disciples, and by the way, there's no good disciples, there's no bad disciples, there's only disciples. Jesus never said, hey, you're a good Christian? Oh, okay, good. You're a bad Christian? No, there's only Christians. <laughs> there's either a Christian or a not Christian. That's it. We're all on this journey. Don't fall into that game of, well, I'm not a good Christian. That guy's a good Christian or she's a great Christian. I'm just kind of a mm, Christian. No, you're either a Christian or you're not. 
Jesus looks at his disciples and says, Hey, disciples, not good ones, not bad ones, just disciples. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. Jesus, you're not going to sell many Bibles with this passage. What are you doing? What are you doing? You're supposed to say, whatever you want, I'll give you. Just ask. Ask eight times, ten times. I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. I promise. Whatever you want. You want a Lamborghini? I'll give it to you. Now that sells Bibles. You want to be prosperous? Follow me. You'll be prosperous. That sells Bibles. That puts you on TV. But Jesus says, take up, his cro- take up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself. Verse 25, for whoever wishes to save his life will what? Lose it. Lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world? He's the richest person in the whole world and he forfeits his soul. Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? You can't bring it with you. See, the truth is we have a God who can trust, who we can trust more than monetary riches, momentary riches. We need to concede to His way, His truth, His life. And like John, as Jesus was coming down, and man, I'll tell you, He was at the pinnacle of His ministry. He said, there, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the one that all we all need to follow. And He says, I must decrease. It's not about me, it's about Him. And the truth is, we get to a place in our life with our wealth where we follow these side effects and we have them all in our life and we go, but I need more and I'm not happy and this and this and this and this. And we forget that the true cost of living that Jesus Christ is knocking on the doors of our hearts and saying, I'm here. All you need, I have. Come to me. So I'd love for you guys just to bow your heads and close your eyes, but we're in the beginning of this whole thing. But where do you need to start? What do you need to do? There's a reason why Jesus talks about money more than he talks about heaven and hell. It's not because Jesus wanted to be rich. He, didn't, he wasn't rich at all. In fact, he said the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Foxes have holes, birds have, have nests, but, but I lay my head on a rock. He was a wandering homeless man. He didn't do it for the money. <laughs> I tell you, if I wanted to do something for the money, I wouldn't be a pastor. It's not about the money. But let me just say this. Discipleship is always going to hit you where it hurts. Because discipleship is not about you being comfortable. I don't know where we get this in our head that Christianity is about our comfort. No, Christianity is a revolution that says, I want to concede to Jesus and change the world in His power, in His might. And the only way to do that is to give up who we are. To, to, to say, this is not mine, but this is yours. And your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? Not my will. Because you've got something to do here. Because you can invest my money a lot better than I can, Lord. And you can take my time and use it a lot better than I can, Lord. And you can take my car and you can take this and you can do a lot better with it than I can. Because I have a tendency to hoard it. And I want to hope in you. Not my stuff. So I just want to challenge you in this series and in this time as a disciple of Christ. What is God saying to you? Not out of guilt. God loves a cheerful giver. If you're, if you're someone who's saying, ah, you know what, I just, I can't, I can't, then don't. God don't need your money. God doesn't need your car. God doesn't need your stuff. But it is about your heart. And discipleship is hard. 
And we need to take what we have and who we are and just say, okay, Lord, it's all yours. And that's the hardest thing for me to do. And can I just say, I'm a pastor, but who cares? Let's throw it out the window. I'm just a disciple just like you. And when I come to God and I say, God, here's my stuff. Here, who's who I am. That's the hardest thing I've ever done. But I'll tell you, the more we give that, the more we just open to Him, the more He pumps through so we can give out to those around us. And I love to see God work. So I want to challenge you now. Some of you are really struggling with stuff. Some of you need prayer. It's not comfortable to get prayer. (laughs) It's just not. Believe me, as someone who's gotten prayer before, it's not comfortable to go up and talk to somebody and say, I need help. But I've done it. Because I have to. We have prayer warriors who want to pray for you. Who want to help you. Who want to journey with Jesus together, arm in arm, and walk with you. I want to encourage you. Don't walk out that door holding on to struggles, holding on to frustration, holding on to everything else. Let go and let God do what God wants to do as you decrease and He increases. Lord, we thank You. It's a good time for me to shut up. Lord, I thank You. I thank You for the truth that You are. I just pray, Lord, that as we, as the ushers come on forward and we just, you know, we give out of our abundance, Lord, we would make Your truth a priority. And we would just follow You with everything that we have. Lord, some of us struggle with time. We don't have enough of it. Many of us struggle with money. We don't feel like we have enough of it. Many of us are struggling with health because, man, there's just not enough days. But Lord, all these things you've said lay at your feet. If we have a burden, we come to you and lay it at your altar. We just want to do that now. And as we take this time to grow in our following of you, we would not hold anything back. And we would trust you as you've trusted us with your son Jesus Christ. You've given us your son. And you say, go. Help us to trust you with who we are and what we have. And we thank you. We thank you right now for what you're doing to the world around. And you help us to be the ones that live out your Son, Jesus Christ, in this world around us. In Jesus' name, amen.